Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. 262 CP, Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Now, it is possible that you are a Christian, but you have compromised so much biblical truth that the world thinks you're one of them. It's possible. They're very comfortable with you because you're no threat to them. Now, in in either case, you need to examine yourself to see, are you really a believer? And if you are a believer, then, then this ought to push you on to be dedicated to Christ, to live. Genuine Christ followers are different from everyone else. And that difference is bound to lead to persecution, which has been the subject of our lessons these past few days here on Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, is our teacher, and our text is Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Real, live, born-again Christians will inevitably face persecution in one way or another. There's no way to avoid it and remain true to our Lord and Savior. So let's go to the Word of God now. What we find there can help us handle persecution when it comes. Jesus called us gentle, but the world hates humility. They consider gentleness, meekness, the same as weakness. It's not, but that's what they think. They don't consider it strength of character, which is what it's talking about. This is a world that believes you put yourself ahead of other people. Remember, nice guys finish last. Jesus also said that we we hunger and we thirst for righteousness. But this is a world that finds righteousness repugnant in today's permissive and and lustful society. Jesus said we were merciful, but mercy is out of step with a world that holds grudges and refuses to forgive others. And you come along and say, yes, I've chosen to forgive this person. And their attitude is, well, you're a fool to forgive them after what they did to you. I'd never do that. And they're right. They never would. So immediately, we clash. Jesus said that we are pure in heart, meaning that certainly not perfection. Remember, we studied this, but meaning that we have single-minded devotion to him. There's a a single-mindedness, but that runs contrary to our culture. Our culture encourages self-focus. Our culture encourages self-love. It it doesn't, doesn't encourage devotion to anybody else but yourself. And Jesus said that we were peacemakers. Because we, and we alone, resolve conflicts by addressing the need to repent. We live in a world that loves to argue and fight. It's a world that resists those who who point out their sins. So you can see there are problems. There are problems. And and I think it helps to put it in the perspective of the Beatitudes, because that's precisely what our Lord was talking about. It helps us to understand why the world hates us and persecutes us, because everything we have become in Christ, the world scorns. Everything. Don't be naive about that. It's everything. As John Stott puts it, persecution is simply the clash between two irreconcilable value systems. 
And he's absolutely right. See, our very character is a protest against ungodly, self-centered character. You don't even have to do anything. It just is. We've become sort of a moral conscience to our culture because of our new and changed character. As I said, it serves as a rebuke to their sinful, rebellious character. And you know what? It bothers them. It bothers them, and they are going to strike back. And it's the striking back at us that Jesus referred to as persecution for the sake of righteousness. Now, that gives you, that ought to open up your your understanding of this whole thing. But I want to stop here and see, how do these truths apply to us specifically, apply to our lives? What do we do with these wonderful principles? Well, if you are determined to live out the truths of authentic biblical Christianity on a daily basis, there's no way that you're going to avoid some rejection and some persecution and hostility from the world. There's no way of doing that. Now, as I said before, I touched on, I want to just clarify this. This doesn't mean that you will have nonstop opposition from the world. That's not what it means at all. Even the Lord and his apostles didn't have continuous persecution, but it does mean that there will be definite times of harassment and opposition. And I don't understand why this happens, but God in his sovereignty chooses some believers to experience more persecution than others. I don't, I don't know why, but God does. And we leave it, we leave it at that. But every believer experiences some opposition at some time, at some time. You shouldn't be surprised by this. Jesus warned us about it. The Bible teaches about it. But you also should make sure that you never back off from godly living because you want to avoid suffering for your faith. That's the temptation we face. That's the temptation every one of us faces. And and we all need the encouragement to press on. We all need the encouragement to be godly and righteous in the face of opposition. Because I'll tell you, nobody enjoys persecution. They say they they do. They're kind of a sick person. Nobody enjoys it. No one enjoys being rejected. No one delights in being ridiculed. No one enjoys the thought of being called a religious nut. Nobody enjoys that. And when those waves of opposition come, our natural tendency is to waver and and, uh, just vacillate in our commitment to Christ. And when we do that, we will compromise his word so that we live like the world, so that the world doesn't dislike us. If we're like them, we think, then they won't hate us because our life won't be so offensive to them. And so when opposition comes from the world because of righteousness, we often find ourselves tempted, quite frankly, to to embrace the world's morality, the world's ethics. We find ourselves tempted to laugh at their perverted humor. We find ourselves often applauding their tasteless often tasteless entertainment. We find ourselves failing to share the gospel of Christ and the glorious truths of scripture, truths like uh, sin, repentance, judgment, righteousness, the doctrine of hell. We find ourselves backing off because because we know that they're they're not going to say to us, thank you so much for sharing that with me. I'm so much more enlightened now. You know, that's not going to be the reaction. Live like the world, believe like the world, or at least come across like you believe like they do, and the world won't hate you. They'll love you. And folks, all of us are tempted like that. All of us. It may surprise you to learn that there is a very prominent Bible character in the New Testament who really struggled 
with this whole area. He, he was oppressed by the world. He embraced hostility or the pressures of hostility were upon him. And, and he really wanted to quit. He wanted to throw in the towel. He wanted to say enough of serving Christ, enough of being on the front line. I've had it. And you know who that was? Timothy. Timothy was just like this. Notice, and I'd like you to turn to 2 Timothy. And I want you to keep your place there because we're going to look at both 1 and 2 Timothy. And I hope it'll encourage you because you know what? Timothy really had a problem. We tend to think of these Bible characters as really not being bothered by this, but I've got to tell you, Timothy was very bothered by this. And Paul directed his thoughts to Timothy to strengthen him. But notice what he said in 2 Timothy 3.12. This glorious statement that, that really says it all. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He wanted Timothy to understand that those who live godly lives will certainly experience persecution. In other words, it's inevitable. Now, why would Paul have to tell Timothy this? Why would he do this? Because Timothy was really besieged with opposition. Timothy was placed at Ephesus by Paul. It was an established church. Timothy was rather young. This was an established church, and he encountered all kinds of problems. He probably felt very alone. Paul wasn't there. And I want you to just see, as we go back to 1 Timothy, some of the things that Timothy endured. In 1 Timothy, you can see what this poor guy had to, had to go through. The first thing that jumps off at us is found in chapter 1, verse 3. Paul says, as I urge you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrine. So immediately we learn that there were false teachers there. And if we had the time to dig into this, you would see that these false teachers were the elders of the church. It's a scary thought. They were the elders of the church. And Paul said, Timothy, take care of it. Instruct them not to teach strange doctrine. So what was the strange doctrine they were teaching? Well, we don't know exactly what they were teaching. But verse 7 gives us uh, some insight. Wanting, he says, to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they're saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. Yeah, these false teachers who were teaching something about the law, probably that you had to keep the law to be, to be saved, and they were dogmatic about it. And Paul is saying, you know what? That's the worst kind. They're, they're clueless, but they're dogmatic about their clueless assertions. Well, Timothy straightened it out. Elders, leaders in the church, teaching that stuff? No wonder he was discouraged. In chapter 3, he devotes almost the whole chapter to unqualified leaders. Here's how you pick a leader, Timothy, and here's the criteria for picking leadership. Why would Paul give that to Timothy? The answer is because the leadership there was so unqualified. And then look in chapter 2. Paul speaks about the problem that Timothy encountered where women were teaching men in the church assembly. Chapter 2, verse 11. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. He's talking about when the church gathers to be taught. So you had women who were teaching. You had false teachers. You had leaders who were unqualified. You had women teaching men in the church. And then on top of all this, look at verse 12 of chapter four, where he says, let no one look down on your youthfulness. They resented the fact that they were older than Timothy and Timothy was given apostolic authority. Yeah. Who are you? How old are you, young man? 
What do you have to tell us that we don't know? We've been doing this a long time. So you can understand why Timothy was really discouraged. And it comes out in his second letter, his second letter, which was Paul's last letter. And I want you to look at this. This will help you. We're going to do just a little survey of this letter, and it'll help you to understand why Paul had to say the things that he had to say to Timothy in this letter. His young disciple, his son in the faith, was discouraged, ready to quit. And you can see this by the many admonitions Paul gives him to be loyal, to be faithful, to hang in there, to to not be ashamed of Paul or of Jesus or the gospel. Be strong. Let's look at this. Because whatever Paul said to Timothy ought to strengthen your heart in going through whatever persecution you go through at work, at home, at school, in the neighborhood, in people, whatever. It's for us. Notice chapter 1, verses, beginning of verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and of discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Paul says, I don't want you to to quit. What you need to do is stir up that gift. He's probably referring to the gifts of evangelism and and teaching. Timothy, don't retreat because God hasn't given given us a timid spirit. Don't be so timid, Timothy, but be strong. Be strong and don't be ashamed of me. Notice verse 12. For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed. He's saying, follow, follow my example. I'm not ashamed. He says, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. Timothy, I'm not ashamed, nor should you be. Verse 16, the Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and, and was not ashamed of my chains. Maybe, maybe Timothy was embarrassed to be associated with Paul, but he's saying, you shouldn't be. You shouldn't be. This man wasn't. Then notice chapter 2, verse 1. This is a verse that was on the dormitory of uh, Colbertson Hall at the Moody Bible Institute. Every day of my life, I saw this verse as I passed by. Very, very encouraging. Chapter 2, verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Why would Paul say that to Timothy? Because the man wasn't strong. He needed to be strengthened. And there's a tenderness here. My, My son who I led to Christ, who I discipled, be strong in the grace. God will give you grace to endure. Chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Timothy, get tough. You're a soldier. Soldiers have the enemy shoot at them. This shouldn't surprise you. Chapter 2, verse 8, Remember, now he said, remember me, but watch this. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not imprisoned. And then this glorious, look at this statement. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. He's saying, Timothy, we suffer for the sake of others. I'm doing that. Get on the ball. And then he says in verse 11, it is a trustworthy statement. If we die with him, we'll live with him. If we endure, we'll reign with him. If we deny him, he'll also deny us. If we're faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot 
deny himself. This is all encouragement directed to the man. And then look at chapter 4. And you know where chapter 3 is. He talks about persecution. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But notice chapter 4. To this man who, who wasn't preaching or was tempted to not preach like he should, tempted to not evangelize like he should, look at these words. 4 verse 1, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. That's a pretty strong charge to have to say it's in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. You better obey this, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. Timothy, you're standing before him someday. You better do what he says. And what is that? Preach the word. Preach the inspired, God-breathed, infallible word. Be ready in season and out of season. That means there's no in season and out of season. That means we're always to be ready to preach, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. That's a frightening statement. We're living in times like that. People will want to hear seeker-sensitive stuff because they don't want to hear the truth of the word. Verse 4, they'll turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. What he's saying is, while they will listen, Timothy, preach. I think for Timothy, it was in season, even out of season, preach. Verse 5, but you, be sober in all things, endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And then notice this. This is just wonderful. He says, I want you to notice, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. Paul was going to be martyred. This was his last letter. And what he's saying is, Timothy, I'm passing the baton on to you. You're, you're, you're the man. You're the next sprinter in the, in the relay race. I'm passing it on to you. If you drop the baton, there's nobody else. You're it. The time of my departure has come. Timothy, you can't throw in the towel. I've invested my life into you. And then he says this, verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Timothy, it's over for me. Take the baton of the gospel and pass it on and don't quit. Now, folks, all of these statements were designed to encourage Timothy and they ought to encourage you. They ought to strengthen you. When you find yourself wavering in your faithfulness to Christ because of, of hostility, remember that this is normal. This is the norm. Every believer has gone through some type of persecution. And you're not alone. You're not alone. And in fact, persecution serves a great purpose in our spiritual lives. You know what that purpose is? Not only does it sanctify us, but according to Jesus in Matthew 5, the Beatitude, it proves that you are a legitimate citizen of the kingdom. It proves that you belong to him. Notice the last phrase of the beatitude. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you experience persecution for the sake of righteousness, it indicates you're a true Christian. It indicates you have a transformed character. You know why? Because the world's not coming after anybody to, to persecute them for righteousness who doesn't live in a righteous manner. Only a true Christian with beatitude-like character would stir up the hatred of the world. You know what? In Philippians, Paul mentioned this very same thing. I, I touched on Philippians about it being a gift to you. But listen to what Paul said. He said in verse 28, I think I said 28, it was 29 before. But verse 28 says, In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, meaning those who persecute you, it reveals that they don't know Christ. 
He says, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. If you are persecuted for being righteous in your character, it would indicate that you are righteous and it ought to give you great assurance of your salvation because the world's not persecuting those who live like they do. This ought to, this ought to help you. However, however, if you claim to know Christ, but never experience, and I mean never, any persecution at all, no rejection of the faith, no ridicule, no disapproval at all, no insults, no rolling of the eyes because of what you've said or haven't said or not laughing at, at sensual jokes. If, if there's no persecution at all, anytime, then it would indicate that you have probably not been converted. Converted people can relate to this. They understand this. Now, it is possible, it is possible that you are a Christian, but you have compromised so much biblical truth that the world thinks you're one of them. It's possible. They're very comfortable with you because you're no threat to them. Now, in, in either case, you need to examine yourself to see, are, are you really a believer? Are you really a believer? And if you are a believer, then, then this ought to push you on to be dedicated to Christ, to live. You know, our lives boil down to this for, for a Christian. You do what's right, what Scripture says, and then let the chips fall where they may. But if you're going to be concerned about the consequences of obedience to Christ, then you're in bondage. You'll never do anything. You're, you're really held prisoner of your own fears. Do what's right, accept the consequences, and God will always give you his grace. The danger is, is that some people think they're believers when there is absolutely no evidence in their lives of any, of any godliness. Those are the people who need to examine themselves to see, am I in the faith? Let's bow for prayer. If you are not a citizen of Christ's kingdom, then understand the way of entrance into his kingdom is by bowing low in humility. Jesus said, unless you become like a little child in your conversion, you'll not enter the kingdom. Understand that you're a sinner. Understand that you have rebelled against God. There is nothing good in you. And that you need to repent of that sin, which means turn from it. And then turn to Christ who died for sinners. Trust him as your sin bearer. And the Bible says you will be forgiven and you will be transformed in your character. Now, if you're a believer, then you need to just be committed to doing what's right. Don't worry about persecution. We don't invite it. We don't look for it. It will happen. Just do what's right and trust the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this eighth beatitude, which is so pointed at us, which is so profound, so rich, such noble thoughts. Lord, we thank you that you've called us not only to believe on you, but to suffer. It is a privilege to suffer for you. We're not suffering for ourselves. We suffer for you. To be counted worthy to suffer like our Lord did is an immense, an immense honor. Help us to have that perspective. And Lord, I pray for every believer here that you'll help them not to waver in their commitment to Christ, not to live like the world because they don't want to be persecuted. Nobody wants to, but that's part of being one of your followers. Goes with the territory. And Lord, for those who um, may not know you, we ask you to open their hearts to, to Christ.
And Father, I would also pray for those who, um, those who think that they're being persecuted when in reality, uh, persecuted for righteousness, but when in reality, it's their own sinfulness. Help us to know if it's us. Help us to know, Lord, and not think of others when we hear this, but is it us? Do we need to change? Father, I pray also for those dear believers who struggle with family members who claim to know Christ, but uh, have some type of opposition to believers who want to live like believers. Strengthen those folks. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm glad you joined us today for another verse-by-verse radio Bible class. We just heard the conclusion of Pastor Steve Kreloff's three-part message on the Eighth Beatitude. But there is still more to learn from this short passage, so we will begin another message on our next program. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. And these radio adaptations of his messages are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. We're on the web at versebyverseradio.org. We have today's lesson and hundreds of previous ones available for download, or you could listen online. If God is moving you to help keep these classes on the air, you can find information on that too. The web address is versebyverseradio.org. You can order a CD or cassette with the entire message by calling us at 727-239-9663. 